So, a crossroads is defined as a point in which a crucial decision must be made that will have far-reaching consequences. And in all of our lives, there are times where we come to crossroads. In all of our lives, there are times where there's some uncertainty about something going on in our lives. We have to try to figure out what to do next. Now it's time, maybe where are we going to stay on the same path or go to a different path? And we have these times of trying to figure things out. And uh, one of the really difficult things that most of us in the room have already navigated is what are we going to do with our lives, right? How are we going to spend our lives? What job are we going to do? What role are we going to fulfill? And um, one of our greeters, Nicole Quintana, was talking with her six-year-old Logan about this decision before him. He's only six, but he's thinking about what he's going to be as he gets older. And so they're having this discussion. Maybe I'll be this. Maybe I'll be that. But he was uncertain. So Nicole made a suggestion. She said, what about being a pastor? And he immediately responded, no, I don't want to be bald. (laughs) So at least he pays attention in church, I guess, right? We'll give him that. But themes of uncertainty and these crossroads really are things that we all have to deal with, right? They're things that we all face in our lives. And today I want to just talk about this question. How do we navigate our crossroads? How do we navigate those things well, right? That's something that we all have to figure out in life. Because either we can navigate our crossroads well, we can handle those times of uncertainty really well, or we can kind of freak out and fall apart or start making a mess of things when we face a time of uncertainty. I know you guys here in the room, some of you guys have crossroads you're facing right now. Some of you woke up, the first thought you had today was that thing you have to make a decision about. And man, there is such difficulty in that uncertainty, isn't there? I hate uncertainty. I've never met anyone in my life who enjoyed uncertainty. And so sometimes we're walking through life and there's another path before us. Maybe it's in your marriage or your relationship. You know, like when a relationship starts to feel funny, you know, it was like it was going along well and suddenly something changed. Now this feels really funny. And suddenly you're thinking, how am I going to navigate through this? Or what about a job situation? That's what some of you guys are on your mind this morning. You're thinking, man, what am I going to do? I have this this opportunity to change careers. I was just talking with somebody between services. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do, if I'm going to stay with my job or leave. And some of you guys are there right now. Financial crossroads. Uh, Maybe it's a thing with your kids, trying to help them navigate through their crossroads. That's really hard because it's not really your decision, but it's their decision, but you're trying to help them make a good decision. Man, that could be so tricky. Maybe it's something in your life that you know God is calling you to. It's like, I want you to walk a different path. I want you to walk a new way. I want you to do something different. And you're really struggling to surrender that decision. I don't know what your crossroads is today, but I know that we all have them. And we can either navigate them well or really poorly. We as a church are at a crossroads, right? I just said we're selling this building, a building that we've known for a long time, right? And uh, we're, we're going to be closing on this space sometimes between November and January. And I know some of us in the room are excited and we're like ready for what's next. And some of us are scared. If I'm honest, I kind of go back and forth between those emotions. Sometimes I'm really excited about what's next. Sometimes I, I start to get fearful about what's next for our church. Um, I did want to just update you guys a little bit and let you know that it looks like there is a school less than 15 minutes from here that's willing to rent us their auditorium um, in case we need to be portable for a season. So that's amazing. That's like a huge, huge, awesome thing that we have the ability to say, okay, if we close here in November and we don't have a space yet, that we have somewhere to call home for a season. And that'll be a whole other adventure. It'll be uh, you know, a lot to do to pull that off well, but it's, it's a great opportunity that we have. So I'll continue to keep you guys updated on that. Uh, and then last week, you know, talk about uncertainty, or not last week, two weeks ago now, some of you guys were in church and, and you've heard that we've been talking with a nearby church about if there's maybe a potential to merge 
and to take our two churches and kind of bring them together under one roof. And I know some of you guys are really excited about that. Some of you guys are confused. Some of you guys are just hearing about that now for the first time, and you're kind of unsettled by that maybe. And so I just kind of want to talk for a minute about that whole thing, okay? Um, I realize that it's, it's like a huge deal, and it was, I just want you to know, it was like one of the hardest things I've ever had to do to come in here two weeks ago. And actually, at this service, I wasn't even in the room because I was preaching at the other church at New Village, and they just played a video of me sharing this idea. And I just want you to know how hard that was for me, man, to, to not even be in the room and then to not be here after service to kind of like walk through this with you and help navigate emotion and answer questions and just walk through that. It was so difficult. And so I just want you to know, like the last two weeks of my life, haven't slept much, um, just so much on my heart because I love you guys and I want us to navigate this crossroads really, really well. But Basically, here's the idea. Um, There's a a church nearby. They're a small church with a really big building and a lot of property. We're a bigger church with about to, you know, have no property. And so we just started to talk. And that's where we are. That's all we're doing is just talking about, could this be God? Could this be what he's up to? And I just want to just take a few minutes. And if if you don't really care about our church situation right now, that's totally fine. Maybe there's some people from out of town or something and you're like, I really don't care. That's that's fine. I'm sorry. Okay? But... Um, the rest of the message is really going to be aimed at you and your heart and the crossroads you're facing, not just what our church is going through. But I need to just take a few minutes and talk about this. Because some people might be thinking, well, why are we even talking about this? Why are we talking about merging with another church and not just going and finding our own space? Like, what's going on? Why are we even entertaining this conversation with New Village Church? Well, I'll tell you why. First off, several churches, and I, I think this is amazing, several really gracious, kind churches have approached us through the last several months and said, hey, uh, we're willing to rent you guys some space or share our building or merge with you. And I just want you to know, we were not just jumping at every opportunity we have because four of those opportunities are not going to work because they're either too far or the building's just too small, okay? But why are we entertaining this with New Village? First off, and I got, I'm leaving a lot out here. God's done a lot to get us into this conversation, but a couple reasons why. First off, the people that are there. We already have some great relationships with the people at New Village Church. Some of you guys actually have family that go to New Village Church. And so I have great relationships with tons of the family there, and I know who they are. And I know that they're good people who love Jesus and have a heart for what God might want to do on Long Island. The second reason is the pastor there, Mark Musser. He and I just have the ability, by God's grace, to this point, to just work through stuff really well. So in other words, we'll get into a conversation and things will start to get... You know, you know how you're in a conversation you're like, oh man, this might be a deal breaker right now? Like, to this point, we've been able to work through every single thing that's come up. And he's just a humble man. He loves Jesus well. And so that's a big deal. The relationship between me and him is a big, big deal. Another thing that this, again, this just kind of has our attention. We're not doing this. We're talking about doing this. We're praying about it, okay? Uh, but another big thing is just the crazy connections there. Like the fact that I literally lived in the church building when I was a kid. I, I was, I was uh, the son of, son of my father. Yeah, that's kind of how it normally works. But, but my dad was the youth pastor at New Village. And so we lived in an apartment in the back of the church for a season while he was the youth pastor there. And, and so like, I just have so much history there. And I got to preach there two weeks ago. And I mean, man, some of the same people. From back in the day, I mean, people used to babysit me when I was a kid. Like, they walk in, I used to babysit this kid, you know? And so, you know, and, and just all the fun things that happened over the years. Remember that time I told you I got into a fight at school, right? 
and I went to my dad's office, and I had bruises all over my head, but you should have seen the other guy, right? But um, I went into my dad's office, and he said, Doug, you have bruises all over your head. What happened? And I said, I, I, hurt, I combed my, my hair too hard, and I bruised my forehead. Like, that was at New Village, okay? So, so that was there. Remember the time I told you that I was going to prank my babysitters? We, we pretended we fell down a flight of stairs. Do you remember that, guys? I told you the other That was at New Village. So all that to say, I did some messed up stuff as a kid at New Village, and I'd like a chance to redeem myself. All right? So, again, just crazy connections, right? And I've always just wondered about our two churches. Another thing, New Village is exactly what we've been asking God for, right? For months, without maybe asking for a merge or naming that specific church, we have prayed, God, would you give us a building that instantly doubles our space and then acres to build onto and grow into for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and that's what New Village is. They have a 300-seat auditorium that's double our size, and they have 125 parking spaces that's double our spot size, and then seven acres. And so, again, it just has our attention. We're talking. We're praying about all of this. And I just want to kind of put fears you know, aside, because I think one of the, the, the ways that we're blessed at our church is that people are excited about what's going on. You know, people are excited about coming. People are excited about belonging and volunteering. And, and, and you're excited about the way that we do church. And I just want to put your fears to rest that the only way we would kind of continue on in this conversation is if we were able to continue to keep our DNA and continue to be a church that unchurched people love to attend, but where Christians can grow deep in their faith. And we would keep the mission of helping center people center their lives around Jesus. And we would continue on with our preaching and our worship and environments. And so that's a big if, right? And so I just want your fears to be put aside that we're not going to become this completely different church that you don't recognize. We're going to continue to be who God calls us to be, whether that's in New Village and we can partner together in it, or it's somewhere else. And so I just want to encourage you to, to relax in that. And yet at the same time, if we did come together, we would want to say, okay, what does it look like to be kingdom-minded here? What does it look like to help people transition from maybe doing one way of things to another? What would it look like to come alongside them and recognize that they've done things a different way for a long time? And so how can we help them do that? And so there's all this balance in all this, but I just want to encourage you, we would continue to be the church God has called us to be. And, and we're sure about that. So all of this to say we're praying. We're talking. We're at a crossroads. We're unsure about some things, right? We're excited about what God has next. We don't know what that is. Again, we didn't really want it to, to kind of all unfold like it did. My, the goal was not, well, maybe on a day when I'm not even going to be there, we should tell everybody about this potential merger. No, I had to do that because people started to find out about it, and I wanted you to hear it from me. So that's the way that worked out. But we have experts talking with us and navigating all this, and there's tons of uncertainty. If you were to hold a gun to my head right now, please don't, but, and, and you said, Doug, what do you think is going to happen in this thing? You know what I would honestly say at this point? I have absolutely no idea. I have zero clue what God is calling us to do. But that's what matters, what God is calling us to do. That's what we want. That's all we want. We just want him to lead us. And so we're at a crossroads. And so now let's kind of push the church stuff aside, and let's get back just to kind of grouping everything together. Let's talk about the uncertain the uncertain situations in your life, our uncertainty at the church, and let's bring it all back together and say, what do we do with it? What do we do with it? And I just want to tell you right now, and I'm going to be real blunt and honest, I need to hear this message more than any other person in this room. 
because of the uncertainty that I have felt over the last several weeks. I mean, I've been on vacation sort of, kind of, if you could call it that, over the last several weeks because this stuff's just been weighing on me so much. And through this entire last several weeks, I just have been preaching this message to myself. I preached a similar message at New Village when I got to speak there two weeks ago. And I'm thankful for that because I needed to preach this message to myself every single day over the last several weeks. So how do we navigate our crossroads? It's so important that we talk about it because we don't want to get ahead of God. We don't want to start doing things our own way. We don't want to start making messes and saying, oh God, you must be doing this when he's not doing that. We want to be led by him. And so today, how do we navigate our crossroads? If you're not a follower of Jesus today, um, I want you to not only hear how to navigate your crossroads and how God wants to be a part of that, but I also hope today that you'll hear all that Jesus wants to do in your life. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 9. And you guys can open up your Bibles. You can check out the screens here. But we're going to look at a famous crossroads in the Bible. And it's funny because this is like one of the huge crossroads in the Bible. But we don't really normally think about how this is a crossroads for this person that was involved. A lot of us are going to be familiar with the story. But I want us to really dive down deep and immerse ourselves and see some new things in it. But really see how big a crossroads this was for this person and how they navigated it. So we're going to look at Acts 9. If you read the beginning of Acts, God's been doing amazing things. The church is on fire. They're excited. They're pumped. People are coming to know Jesus. But then some bad things start to happen, right? The church starts to get persecuted. And there's this one guy named Saul who is kind of number one enemy of the church in the way of Jesus. And so we're going to check out in Acts 9 what happens. So verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, and when he says the way, it's talking about the way of Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So here is Saul. He is walking a certain path. And his path, his chosen path at this point in his life is find all the Christians, put them in prison, and execute them. That's the path Saul is on. But as many of you know, that path's about to reach a crossroads. Verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Now, just pause here for a second. What I think is interesting is that Saul didn't have a relationship with Jesus, but he called him Lord. Think about that for a second. And the word Lord that he used, if you look at the Greek, it's not just like the word for master or someone in authority. It's literally a transcendent being. So Saul has never seen Jesus as God, but suddenly he has this encounter and he goes, who are you, Lord, transcendent being, one who exists apart from the material universe? Here's Saul's response, right? And so then it goes on. Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Now some of you guys are sitting here going, what does this have to do with how I navigate my crossroads? What does this have to do with our church navigating our building crossroads? Well, we don't think about this a lot, but think about what an incredible crossroads this was for Saul. Right? He's been walking one way his whole life. If he's going to do what God just told him to do, to get up and go into the city and wait for, what he was, wait for what he'll be told to do, then everything's going to change for Saul. And so here is Saul. He must be thinking to himself, what was that about? I just got knocked on the ground. Someone told me I'm persecuting them. It seemed like I was talking to God. I mean, all this uncertainty must be flooding through his mind. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in that place where you are so completely uncertain about what to do next? 
you have no idea whether you're supposed to stay in the relationship, whether you're supposed to fight for it, whether you're supposed to surrender it, whether you're supposed to look for a new job, whether you're supposed to change schools, whether you're supposed to change your major, whether you're supposed to you know, take this money and put it here, or that uncertainty. And this is where, where Saul was in life, knocked down on the ground, completely clueless about what would be next. But here's what I love. Okay, just go back one slide. I love this as we look at the end of the verse. Look at what it says. It says, now get up into the city and you'll be told what you must do. You know what that means? For every single one of us facing a crossroads today, you are not alone. God is with you. And you will be told what you must do. You see, Saul had this encounter with Jesus. And then Jesus didn't just go, okay, Saul, here I am. I'm revealing myself to you. I am God. Now have fun figuring out the rest. No, he says, okay, Saul, here I am. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. In other words, Saul, I'm going to be with you through this crossroads. And that's what God says to you and I. He says that to you about your marriage and your job and all that other stuff. He says that to us as a church. I'm with you. And guys, just everybody relax. Doug, start sleeping a little bit more, buddy, because I'm going to tell you what you must do. That's what's going on here. That's what God is saying to you and me today. And some of us, I think, we face a crossroads, and there's nothing wrong with looking at pros and cons and trying to figure out which way to go. But the most important question is not which option makes the most sense. The most important question is not which way will cost me something. The most important question that we can ask as a church and you can ask as an individual is this. What is God telling me I must do? What is the Lord saying? What is God doing? What's he up to in the midst of all this? Because we have to remember God has a will. He has a plan. He's up to something. He's writing a story, right? And he knows what's supposed to happen next. So the most important question you and I can ask as we face our crossroad is, what is God saying I must do? And that should encourage us because God's going to tell us what to do. He's with us. Look at the next part, verse 7. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. Now, I don't know what Saul was thinking, but I know what I would have been thinking. I would have been thinking, I can't see. I lost all my perception. Have you ever felt that as you're trying to make a decision? You're at a crossroads, you're like, I feel blind. Some of you, you woke up this morning and you just were thinking, I don't know what to do next. Had a conversation like that lately? Maybe you're talking to your spouse, what do we do? I don't know. Maybe talking to a friend, maybe trusting somebody with what you're going through. What do I do? I, man, I wish I could tell you, I don't really know what to do. And that's exactly what Saul is feeling here. He's facing this huge crossroads. Saul trusted Jesus at his crossroads. You know how we know that? Because he got up, he went into the city, and he waited to be told what he must do. Now, I have a question for you. Why would Saul trust Jesus at this crossroads? He's been an enemy of Jesus his whole life. I mean, right? I mean, especially the last several years, he's been putting Christians in jail. Why would he trust Jesus? Because he had just experienced the living God. And you know what I want to encourage you today? If you've been a follower of Jesus for a while and you've experienced the living God, then here's what you know. You can trust him. Maybe you don't know what to do next. Maybe you don't feel like you have any sight. But what you can do is look back. And you can say, okay, I don't know what to do right now, but I know God has shown me in the past 
that he is good and he is trustworthy and his plan is good and I've encountered the living God. He's given me joy. He's given me peace. He saved my soul. He died in my place so I can trust him now when I'm uncertain. And that's what Saul does here. And that's what you and I have the opportunity to do. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, you have this opportunity as well to trust Jesus. He died for you so you could know him, so you could have your sins forgiven, so that he could begin to work in your life in a new way and help you navigate your crossroads. Let's get back to the story. Verse 9. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. I so wish God talked to me like that. Don't you wish? Right? That'd just be amazing. Yo, Doug! Right? That'd be just so, so great. Baldy! I don't know what you call me, you know? But that would just be so awesome if it was just like, ah, oh, Lord, just speak. But that's not how God speaks to me. But here Ananias has this incredibly clear message from God. Verse 11, the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul for he's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So remember, Jesus told Saul, you will be told what you must do. Jesus told Saul, you're not in this alone. And this verse shows us God was coming through on that promise because Saul had a vision that God was going to bring this man, Ananias, to come pray for him and restore his sight. So then, it goes on in verse 13, and Ananias here, we find him at a crossroads now, right? Verse 13, Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem, and he has come here with the authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. So Ananias is now at a crossroads. Saul was at a crossroads. He went up, got into the city, and now he's waiting to be told what he must do. Now Ananias is at a crossroads. Because he knows who Saul is. He's going, he's got his list of reasons. Uh, God, I don't know if you've recognized this lately, but you know, Saul was like killing Christians and putting Christians in prison, and I'm a Christian, so I don't think it's a good idea if I go hunt him down and try to figure him out. And sometimes you and I, as we were facing our crossroads, God does tell us what we must do. And then it's like, well, let me get all the excuses out of my pocket and show you why I shouldn't do this, God. But let's see what happens here. Look at God's response. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man's my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings to the people of Israel. So God just sort of blew past Ananias's sort of, I guess, appeal or objections and said, hey, I am up to something here. And, and I don't know if maybe you're here today and you know God's put something on your heart to do. You're at a crossroads and he has spoken. Some of us are waiting. I'm waiting. I need to hear what's next. I don't know what's next, but some of us know. And we've got our list of objections out. And God is just saying, go, go. I told you what to do. Now go, right? Follow. Listen, I'm up to something. Don't fear. Verse 16, he's, uh, God, God says to Ananias, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. So Ananias says, okay, Lord, I'm going to follow through. I'm scared to death, but I'm going to surrender. Look at, what, look at what happens. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales from, from Saul's, fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. So uh, think about the fact that Saul and Ananias have both decided to be open to God's agenda, right? They both had big obstacles to overcome. And I just want you to think for a second. Are there any obstacles in your life that maybe you're hanging on to 
you're saying, eh, I don't know if I'm going to surrender this. I don't know if I'm going to give this to God. I, I'm going to hang on to this. But they've both overcome those obstacles and said, God, have your way. Do what you have to do. And I love that God is leading now both Saul and Ananias. And now this is really important. I want you to think about this for a second. One of the things I love about this story is that Saul doesn't get his sight back until after he trusts God with the uncertainty in his life. Think about that. Right? Don't we so often want our sight back before we trust God? It's like, okay, God, I'm here, I'm praying. If you show me how this is all going to play out, and you give me complete knowledge and wisdom to know if this is going to be a good thing or a bad thing, then I'll trust you. And God here has shown us, and this is often how God works, right? No, trust me first, then you'll get your sight back. Then you'll see what I was up to. Then you'll be able to look back and go, oh man, God had this all along. And I just want you to think about this for a second. Had Saul not trusted God with his uncertainty, he would have stayed blind the rest of his life, right? It was only in God's plan that if he followed through with what God told him to do, get up, go into the city, wait, you'll be told what to do. God says, here comes this guy, he's going to pray for you. If Saul had run from any of that, he would have remained blind. I just wonder, what God wants to do in your and my life as we surrender our crossroads, our merger situation, our marriage, our job, our friendships, all these things that maybe feel uncertain. I just wonder what God will do as we look to him. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the son of God. So remember God told him, hey, I'm going to tell you what you must do. Well, now Saul's living it. Saul's living it. He's, he's now preaching. And eventually, if you know the story, his name would be changed to Paul, right? He would become the Apostle Paul, one of the guys who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And so God uses him in such power. Now, if I could just check out verse 26 with you guys here, we see something interesting happen. Again, when it came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. So, okay, Saul was at a crossroads, trusted God. Ananias was at a crossroads, trusted God. Now we have a group of disciples who are at another crossroads, right? Saul's trying to join them. Saul's trying to hang out with them. And here are these disciples going, wait a minute, should we trust this guy? Again, they knew who Saul had been before he turned his life over to Jesus. And so they're freaking out and they don't know what to do. And I just want to encourage you because I would guess some of you here who are at a crossroads are feeling bad that you feel maybe some uncertainty, And I just want to encourage you because we know that one of the disciples that was in that group of disciples that was uncertain about receiving Saul was the Apostle Peter. And so if you're going today, you know what, if I just had more faith, then maybe this whole crossroads thing wouldn't have me so unsettled. Well, here's like one of the greatest followers of Jesus ever, Peter, looking at Saul going, I don't know if I trust this guy. I don't know what to do here. Let's look at what happens. Verse 27. But Barnabas, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Barnabas sees God at work, right? And he brings Saul to Peter and all the other disciples that were afraid to even think about hanging out with Saul. And Barnabas says, I see God at work. I see him in the middle of this. And so I'm going to trust him at this crossroads. And then verse 28, we see the result. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace 
and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and increased in numbers. I love it. Look what happened because Saul, Ananias, and Barnabas all trusted God. The church experienced a time of peace. They were strengthened. They were encouraged by the Holy Spirit and they increased in numbers, which means they reached more lost people. Guys, I just wonder if you and I at our crossroads would surrender our uncertainty to God. And we remember he is with us. And we remember he's going to tell us what we must do. And we follow through if we would experience peace in a time of strengthening, in a time of encouragement by the Holy Spirit, and maybe even an increase in numbers reaching those who need Jesus. This is what happens because these men decide Jesus is trustworthy. And I love the amazing plan of God in all of this, right? He told Saul, Ananias, and Barnabas what to do, and the outcome was so powerful. And so I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what you're going through today. But I know this, that the same God that led Saul, Ananias, and Barnabas is going to lead you and is going to lead me and is going to lead our church at this crossroads. He's going to show us exactly what we must do. And that's all we want. We do not want to merge with another church if that is not what God has. But we do want to do that if that is what God has. And that's all that counts is that we do what the Lord is saying that we must do. So I got to speak this a few weeks ago at New Village Church. And it's a good thing because my entire vacation, I kept on preaching the bottom line to myself. I'd wake up early in the morning freaking out about this or that, worried about this, and what about those, and thinking about you guys, and I hope everybody's okay, and oh man, it was, it was crazy, and I, and I just would get up, and I would just preach this same bottom line I want to share with you to myself, and I'd say it probably 50 times a day, and here's what it is. God will tell you what you must do at your crossroads. That's our hope today. He's going to tell you. He's going to show you and me what to do at our crossroads. When we're uncertain, and we don't know what to do next, he's going to lead us. It's not our own abilities that's going to carry us through this. It's not our own strategies. It's not our own plans. God will show us what we must do at our crossroads. So here is my request. Will you seek God? Will you seek him for the personal things that you need him to show up in your life and guide you through? But will you also seek him for our church? This is a really critical time for our church. And here's what I know. God is going to be faithful to us. He's going to carry us. And so will you seek God in prayer? Will you cry out to him and say, God, will you show us what you're trying to say? Will you seek his word? I'm reading through Isaiah right now, and man, I'm just finding so much peace as I read through Isaiah. You know why? Because I see a God who has a plan. I see a God who's orchestrating things, and he's over things, and he's in control, and he, because of that, can give peace to people who don't know what's next. And so I see a God who's got a plan. As I read through Revelation, um, I see this amazing word that is spoken about God, that he opens a door that no one can shut, and he shuts a door that no one can open. You know what that means? God's going to show us through his word and through prayer what his will is, but he's also going to show us what he has for us to do, just simply by opening and closing doors, by opening and closing opportunities. And that's our prayer. I mean, our staff, when we pray about this, we say, God, would you make this so clear that nobody doubts it's of you? Just slam the doors, God. If this merger is not of you, slam the door in our face. Make it clear. God, if it's of you, swing it wide open. Help us to know. Help New Village to know. Make it clear. For my friends here sitting in the seats, you guys today, God, make it so clear how you want to repair their marriage. 
God, make it so clear what you want to do in their kids' lives. God, make it so clear what that next step might be for their job or their work situation. God, for a kid that's fearing going back to school this week, God, just surround them with your peace. Show them your will for their lives in this next upcoming school season. And he will do it. You know why he will do it? You know how I know he'll do it? Is because hasn't he done it a million times before? Hasn't he shown up so many times before? I was thinking about our church. I was thinking about how almost 40 years ago, Pastor Bravone and Kathy decided that God was calling them to start a church. And I just want you to think about that for a second. Imagine you're sitting in your house. You don't own a church building. You have no money. You don't have any people. But you feel God saying, I want you to start a church. And so they said, well, we have a living room. And so they started a church in their living room. And people began to come. And money began to flow in. And they were able to move out of the living room and rent a hall right down the street on either Southern or Lake. I can't remember which one. And eventually they purchased this property. And it was just this tiny little building, mainly the size of the, the lobby and into the cafe a little bit. And they began to build it. And when I say they began to build it, like they began to build it. The people in the church would come and they started to put beams in. And they had this guy who had a backhoe and he came and Pastor Ravone thought he was going to dig out the whole basement in a day. It took like three weeks. And so they dig out the basement and they start putting beams in place. And they actually built uh, that half of the, of the auditorium first and they met in that half while they were building this half. There was a big wall between this room separating it so they could be, build this. And they're hanging sheetrock and putting tiles up in the ceiling. And God was faithful to build this place, to a church. I mean, Pastor and Kathy were the band. Like, Kathy didn't even know how to play the piano. She had to learn how to play the piano, so they had worship. I mean, literally started from nothing, and God was faithful. And then in 2001, Pastor Bravone got his worst idea ever and offered me a job. And uh, so I came over here as the youth pastor and, you know, when we were at the crossroads, Kelly and I, I was the pastor over at Northport Baptist Church for a while, and I was the middle school youth pastor there at the time. And so we get the offer here, and we're praying. And I had friends come up to me and go, Doug, I don't think it's going to work for you to go to that church, man. I had one pastor friend sit down with me, a piece of paper. He had me write down all the things that I believed, uh, theology and kind of how to do church. And then he took Pastor Pavone and put him on the other side, and we couldn't have been more different. And so looking at this piece of paper... My friend said to me, this is not God's will. This is not going to work. Worked. It was God's will. Because it's not about a piece of paper with pros and cons or a yes column or a no column. It's about what God is saying. And it worked. And man, I'm working for my father-in-law at the time, right? I mean, this is the guy who sharpened his machetes when I came to pick up his daughter for the first time, right? This is my life. That is not a joke. He really did, okay? And so that's what that was. And then about mid-2000s, we're doing church and our church looked totally different than it did today and and the way we did worship and our approach at ministry and reaching people and it was totally different in mid-2000s we began to feel God put on our heart you know what change the way you're doing things become a church that not just saved people love to come to but also the unsaved can be reached we made all these changes and we lost some people and some people couldn't buy into the vision and they left and that was really painful and difficult but we knew God was saying it you know what we're at another crossroads and I don't know what's next might, we might go buy a building somewhere. We might, I don't know what's next. But I do know that God's going to be faithful. And I do know he's going to tell us what we must do at our crossroads. If you're a follower of Jesus today, what crossroads are you at? What uncertainty in your life do you need to be seeking God about? Pray about it. Look to his word. Look for the open and the closed doors. Because God's going to tell you what you must do.
at your crossroads. If you're not a follower of Jesus here today, I hope you've seen what it looks like for God to walk with you through life. What peace it brings to know that the success or failure of this church, it does not rest on me or our board or our staff or our volunteers. It is 100% on the shoulders of God. And you can walk through life with that same peace and that same certainty as you trust him. He died to make you his. He rose to defeat death and sin and make you his child. And so if you want to put your trust in him today, you could do that. But if you're a follower of Jesus, I hope you're encouraged today. No, God is with you. He's going to tell you what you must do at your crossroads. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you are with us and that nothing's a mystery to you and nothing's difficult for you and nothing's hard for you, God. And we are, you know, so limited and we're so blind at times in our lives. But we thank you, God, that your word and through prayer and through these open and closed doors, you're going to show every one of us what we must do at our crossroads. We thank you for Saul and Barnabas and Ananias for their example. And we thank you for what you did as a result of all that. And so God, help us. Be with us. Give us peace to know you are in control. If you're a follower of Jesus, what do you need to bring to God today? What crossroads are you facing? And would you pray for our church? Would you pray that we would love one another well, that not one person would walk away, but that during this time we grow stronger because of this crossroads we're at? If you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to put your trust in him today, I would just encourage you to pray something like this just quietly. Jesus, please forgive me for my sin. Thank you so much for loving me and dying in my place. And God, I thank you that you want to help me navigate my crossroads, that you want to walk with me through uncertainty and give me peace and give me rest. And I thank you that, God, you now invite me into this relationship with you. So I turn from my sin. I ask you to empower me to live the way you've called me to live. I thank you for this gift. In your name I pray.